0: This episode of On the Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 2. A verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. And remember that Part 1 of this series goes from chapters 1 to 9, and Part 2 goes from John's Gospel chapters 10 to 21. We are in chapter 11 at the tail end. We have now witnessed the seventh of the signs of Jesus pointing to his Messiahship. These signs are wonderful, glorious, but amazingly, especially when they are miracles done in or near Jerusalem, it causes great division. For example, the healing of the lame man at the Pool of Bethesda, John 5. The healing of the blind man at the Pool of Siloam, John 9. The raising of Lazarus from the dead, John 11. All these miracles happened in or near Jerusalem, and the contention over them was amazing. Many believed, and others resisted, especially the religious establishment elite. Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, they were just more and more hostile and jealous at the success and ministry of Jesus. And what we're going to discover in this program is despite Jesus validating himself as the promised Messiah, the King, the one whom was sent by God from heaven, instead of receiving him wonderfully and being grateful for such a visitation, the very people who were waiting for Messiah We're going to reject him, not all the people, but the ones who were the decision makers, the elite, the top brass. And so we're going to learn about their diabolical plan that was in the foreknowledge and express will of God that the son would die and then rise again from the dead. Our lesson is called from life. That's the raising of Lazarus to death. That's the crucifixion of Jesus from life to death, based on John chapter 11, verses 47 to 57. Let me read to you, starting from verse 49. And one of them, this is the Sanhedrin or the council meeting together, one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. What an amazing statement. This is in the aftermath of hearing the news that Jesus had raised Lazarus of Bethany back from the dead. And so they're saying, because he's done this miracle, we are needing to plan his death. Now, why do they want to plan his death? How is it that raising a man from the dead should cause the death of the healer well of course there are so many things here they were concerned about their own interests they were the ruling elite they had a working relationship with the romans they were afraid that jesus was going to cause a rival center of jewish religious influence and that the romans somehow would not like this they would not like jesus doing what he does, and so that they will come and punish the whole nation because of the popularity of Jesus, taking away their temple, taking away also their city, taking away their autonomy. That was their worry, or at least that's what they expressed. Caiaphas, the high priest, is saying, it is expedient to dispose of or to eliminate or to kill one man so that the whole nation does not perish. Now, of course, he's thinking of it from a very carnal and cynical point of view. Kill this man, and then we can go back to normal, and the status quo with the Romans and our own position will stay intact. But what the high priest was saying without realizing it, yes, you will get what you want, and this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, will die, and he will die instead of his nation. He will die for the sins of his nation and indeed for the sins of the world. It's time to read the entire portion of John chapter 11 verses 47 to 57. Our lesson is called From Life to Death. Again, the reference is John chapter 11 verses 47 to 57. Let's listen to the word of God. Then gathered the chief priests And the Pharisees a council, and said, What do ye? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence unto a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves, as they stood in the temple. What think ye, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment, that if any man knew where he were, he should show it, that they might take him. Our reading is from John 11, verses 47 to 57. And our lesson is called, From Life to Death. The Great Dilemma. John 11, 47, and 48. Jesus had already performed his seventh and perhaps greatest messianic miracle recorded in the Gospel of John, namely, Lazarus was raised from the dead. The results, as always when dealing with the religious Jerusalem, were a mixed response. Many Jews who witnessed the miracle believed in Jesus, but amazingly, there were those that saw the exact same thing, and they did not believe it all. These went and told the Pharisees what had happened. The Pharisees, again, rather than being impressed with the miracle, were absolutely in a tizzy. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. And with much hand wringing, they mused, what are we going to do? This man does many miracles. If we do nothing, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Now, our place actually means the temple. And our nation means, of course, Israel. The first part of their assessment was correct. Leave Jesus alone and everyone will start to believe in him. But if all believe, would the Romans really want to intervene? especially since Jesus never said anything against Rome and was publicly most apolitical. The fact is, the truth is the opposite to the case. It wasn't the receiving of Jesus that endangered Jerusalem and the temple. It was the rejecting of Jesus that led to the loss of Jerusalem and the temple. A few decades after this event, there began a Jewish revolt against Rome in the year 66 A.D. This revolt lasted four years. They put up a very stiff resistance against the whole of the Roman Empire, but it eventually resulted in the destruction of both Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D., an event that Jesus himself prophesied. And what's more, believers in Jesus in Jerusalem at the time of its destruction took note of the prophecy of Matthew 24, and they left Jerusalem in time and sought refuge across the Jordan River into what is now Transjordan or Gilead to a place called Pella. And so not only was the rejection of Jesus resulting in the loss of place and nation, but it also meant that people who did believe were preserved. There was a way of escape. If you want to read more about this fascinating event in history, the great revolt against Rome by the Jews in 66 to 70 A.D., I recommend to you the complete history or writings of Josephus Flavius. You can probably get him for free downloaded off the Internet. Josephus, it's like Joseph with a U.S. at the end, Flavius. Caiaphas's council, which we looked at, but we'll look at some more. That's John 11, 49 and 50. Showing great impatience at all this dithering about, the high priest Caiaphas and he was priest for that year, declared that his colleagues knew nothing at all. Nor have they considered this. It is expedient for all of us that this one man, Jesus of Nazareth, should die for the people rather than the entire nation perish. What devilish logic! Kill a righteous man who you detest in order to preserve the nation as if somehow God would condone unrighteousness? Yet, by the foreknowledge and wisdom of Almighty God, this is exactly what would happen. A righteous man would be offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the nation and the world. It was God's idea for Christ to die for sins, all the sins of all people, and Jesus freely accepted this cup. No one took his life from him. He freely gave it for all of us. And then the prophecy of John 11, 51, and 52. Because here John makes an interesting statement. He says that the high priest did not make these comments of his own. That the high priest Caiaphas was actually prophesying that Jesus should die for the nation, the nation of Israel. And there is more. Jesus wasn't just dying for Israel, called the nation, but also He was to gather together into one God's children who were scattered abroad. This is a reference to the salvation of the Gentiles. And can I just put in a comment which I have said before and needs to be said again, and probably will be said sometime down the track. There are the people of Israel, and then there are the nations. And the nations are called Goyim in Hebrew normally meaning Gentiles. This is not a happy term. In fact, it's a negative term, to be goyim. It's not unlike the Chinese thinking that everybody else that's not Chinese is barbarian. I mean, it's it's pretty much the same thing. And yet, there's something amazing here. Having said that, when Gentiles or non-Jewish people are reconciled to God... Because of Jesus, they're really no longer the lost and darkened among the nations, Gentiles. On the contrary, they become the people of God. And not just the people of God, they're grafted into the olive tree. They are part of the household of faith. They are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And so what I'm saying is, I urge true believers never to refer yourself as a Gentile refer your, yourself as who you are. You're a Christian, you're born again, you're a child of the king. Now is the counsel to kill. John 11:53. The irony was that raising a dead man named Lazarus back to life meant the council now plotted to take a holy and living man and put him to death. And from that day onward, they plotted how they could capture Jesus and execute him bearing in mind they themselves had no legal authority from the roman occupying powers to execute anyone rome had that prerogative alone but never mind they'll fix the details as they go along jesus of course understood everything that was going on and therefore he did what we would call a strategic retreat not out of fear but out of a sense of timing of the how should we say it being moved by the Holy Spirit just the time had not yet come but it was almost there at hand that he was to offer his life for the sins of the world so it says he would no longer openly walk in Judea because it was too small too crowded and too dangerous so he makes the strategic retreat to a city called Ephraim near the wilderness and that's where he and the disciples would spend their time until the passover had come back to Jerusalem that it says in John 11:55 yet the time of passover had arrived many people went out of the countryside up to Jerusalem they wanted to arrive before the passover so they could purify themselves for the occasion and please understand that when you go to Jerusalem It is always an ascent. And whenever you leave Jerusalem, it's always a descent. In fact, that's the Hebrew word aliyah, the ascent, that uh, is used for migration of Jewish people to Israel in our modern day. Going up to Jerusalem is an ascent. It's reminiscent of the Messianic words found in Isaiah 2, and Micah 4, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Then John eleven fifty six, seeking Jesus. During this pre-Passover period in Jerusalem, his enemies were looking for him and asked while standing in the temple precincts, What do you think? Will he not come to the feast? Which is normally the greatest feast of the entire year, the feast of Passover. And then our last verse for this lesson, John eleven fifty seven. the religious elite now gave a command. If anyone knew where Jesus was, they should say so, so they might apprehend him. It is so diabolical that the only way we can stomach it is to know that God was in it for our sakes. Now our lesson is called From Life to Death, and our lesson for life is this. The darkness of the Sanhedrin's council was a direct reaction to the light that came from Jesus. After all, the darkness despises the light.